The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Please take your Bible and open up to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter number 20. We continue our series here through the Ten Commandments, really answering some of the uh, catechism questions. What is the law of God contained in the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Commandment? And uh, so a few weeks ago when we started, I kind of gave you some hand gestures to remember the Ten Commandments. We said that uh, commandment number six is not to commit murder, right? Right? And uh, commandment number uh, seven, we said, is there's only two in a marriage, not five, right? So don't commit adultery. And then we said uh, commandment number eight is don't steal, because in some countries they will cut your thumbs off if you steal, all right? Just a way to remember that. And of course, I know all of you today are thinking, what a wonderful way, after recognizing these graduates, after singing this beautiful worship music today, what a beautifully encouraging sermon to talk about murder, adultery, and stealing, right? I'm sure that's why all of you came to church today to speak about these issues. Well, I would say to you, my, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, that uh, today as we just kind of look at this text together, and we're going to uh, jump over to the New Testament a few minutes as well too, I really think that you'll find that by the end of this um, lesson today, you'll see that these commandments are not uh, just simple, but they uh, apply and they move into every portion of our lives. But let's read together Exodus chapter number 20, verse number 13, 14, and 15, just these rapid-fire, staccato-note kind of commands. So verse number 13, You shall not murder. Now, some of your Bibles will say kill. We'll get to that in a moment. You shall not murder or take life unlawfully. Verse number 14, You shall not commit adultery. And verse number 15, You shall not steal. So we want to look today at what is the law of God contained in the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments. Would you join me for a word of prayer, brothers and sisters? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to pray for us, but just maybe while you're sitting there, and this week maybe you've not had a chance to pray, your week has been busy, you've not really spoken to God a whole bunch, would you just quietly in your heart say, Lord, will you speak to me today? Would you teach me something out of your word? We've worshiped and sang together and prayed together and given together and and now would you uh, look past our pastor and open the Word, and would you teach us from your Word? Would you just pray that, maybe in your own heart, right where you are, that God somehow would take these commands, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, and that He would work them into all of our lives today. So join me in prayer. Our Father, we come before you now, and we thank you for this beautiful Sunday. We thank you so much for the opportunity to have come and gone to Sunday school and a Bible study to, to learn the Word, to fellowship with friends, to pray together, to kind of dive in a little bit. I think some classes are in Daniel, some are in 1 Corinthians and many other places, uh, some studying the life of David. We, we thank you for all of these studies together. And then, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather corporately with this group of people. And surely people that aren't familiar with church life or look in from the outside, they might think that what we do here is a bit odd, that we gather together and uh, we greet each other and then we pray together, we read your word, we sing songs together, we actually give uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. And then, Lord, we, uh, we open your word and we listen to some guy get up and talk about it for a while. And uh, in the middle of all of that, we ask that the Spirit of God would move from these poor stammering lips to the hearts of every hearer here today, 
that Christ Jesus would be lifted up and magnified. And Lord, I pray for all of my friends that are here today, member and visitor alike. We need you. We really do. We need some help. And so I pray that, uh, Lord, you'd use your word and that your spirit would collide in our hearts and help us to be more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ when we leave here today. And we shall thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, just a little bit ahead of time, why don't I just give you the three points today? I don't always have three points. Uh, you know, some guys have three points in a poem. I'm sorry, I have no poem for you today. You probably would not want to hear a poem that I manufactured anyway. But uh, here, are, here, here, are a couple of, here are three things that we'll take away from the text today. The first is we want to talk about the simple truths contained in this text. Then we want to talk about some difficult realities and then we want to talk about some impossible possibilities. Let me say that one more time for you, just if you want to jot down some notes in your bulletin. Simple truths, difficult realities, and impossible possibilities. So first of all, from the text, look at these simple truths in verse number 13, 14, and 15. He says, first of all, you shall not murder. Now, as I said a minute ago, in some of your Bibles it say you shall not kill. The word here actually is most likely uh, for murder or for the taking of life unlawfully. And so when you say just uh, thou shalt not kill, that leaves a whole lot of vague room in there, some, some, uh, some gray area. Well, what about war? And uh, what about self-defense? Well, the Bible has a multitude of words that it uses for the taking of life. But this word that is used here is never used in the Bible for self-defense or for war or for the warranted taking of another individual life. It is never used in that way. In fact, this word is only used in the unlawful taking of another human life. So if you have a translation that says something like uh, unlawful taking of life or unlawful killing or uh, of murder, that's, that's kind of trending along the right way. And by the way, even if you have a, a translation that says thou shalt not kill, I'm pretty sure that the majority of the people in here today understand that what the text is actually saying is don't run out of here and kill anybody. All right. Now, I want to say to you, that's a basic truth, is it not? Now, you might have come in here today and said, man, you know, our pastor, he's been to seminary, and he's doing this and this, so we worshiped and all this beautiful music, and now you're just going to give us one simple little point, like don't murder, like everybody in here says, duh, don't, don't go and murder. But I want to say something to you, that uh, we cannot just skip over this in, in our day and time. I mean, with all the shootings that are going on in our school systems, with all, the, with all the malice and anger, with all the national taking of life and international wars that are going on, with all of the terrorism and hurt and pain and uh, rapes running rampant and the, and, and the molestation and the things that are used against other human beings, I just want to simply say this. We can get a little deeper in a minute, but I want to say the Bible says don't murder people. Amen? And that's a simple truth we ought to walk out of here with today. In fact, that's the same kind of simple truth that governs a society and creates civility and helps us uh, continue and to mature and to grow and to go about it. And when we discard something like that, when we say that murder then becomes okay, then I want to say that that's heading in the wrong direction. The God of heaven says, do not murder. And by the way, whenever you read a commandment in the Bible in the negative, you understand that what's implicit and indirectly given in the, is the opposite side of that. So if God says, I don't want want you to murder, then you should understand that the very nature of God is, I want you instead, oppositely, to honor and restore and, and sanctify and hold true life. 
So did you know that this one commandment not to murder has its tentacles in every part of our society, whether that comes to something as terrible as, say, euthanasia or assisted suicide of elderly people. And people say, well, that, they, can't, they can't contribute anymore. They have this or they have that. We should just, they're, they're taxing on our governmental system and taking money and all of these kinds of things. The command, thou shalt not murder, murder comes into play there. Vice versa, on the far end of that, an unborn life. You see, we ought to stand today in honor, and we ought to sanctify, and we ought to hold holy before the living God of heaven that every unborn child has life and is a person and deserves to be represented. Amen? Yeah. Now today, I'm not, I'm not going to wind down all those trails, but I am going to tell you that we ought not to take life unlawfully. And at the very least, we ought to consider in our own soul, hey, that's another human being. Whether they can defend themselves or not, whether they can talk to you or not, whether they have the mental capacity to defend themselves and their right to be as an existence on this planet or not, we are to honor life. Don't murder. Don't take life. Now, just a moment of teaching here. I said, well, what about, uh, what about our military? And what about when uh, we go to war? Well, uh, just so you understand here, the Bible does say in Genesis chapter number 9 and in Romans chapter number 13 that it gives the governmental powers that lie over a nation or over a country, it does give them the uh, authority to take life in an appropriate way in just war situations. And so if there is a life at stake or a nation at stake, if there, if there are countries around the world that are being uh, obliterated and genocide and, and, and there, there, there's killing going on, then sometimes the taking of life is done so in a way of preserving life in a greater way. Right. What this talk, text is talking about is simply don't take life unlawfully. Here's the second uh, simple truth that comes from it, and we're going to dive in a little bit farther in a minute, but I just want to say this. On the surface, the next verse says, don't commit adultery. It's a broad term. The, the Hebrew word here is more like uncleanliness, having to do not only with adultery, but pornography and uh, rampant incest and, and molestation and rape and all of these things. But it lies at the very heart of what's going on here is saying, listen, God created in the original in the book of Genesis that marriage should be between one man and one wife forever. And you ought not to commit adultery. So before I get into maybe some difficult realities... Is it okay if I just say on the authority of the Bible and of God Himself, don't commit adultery? Now you might be in here today and you're graduating from high school or you might even be here and you're not graduating from high school or you might be on so far on the other end that you can't even remember when you were in high school. But wherever you are, on one end or on the other end, you never, ever, ever, ever have a right, according to the Scripture, to commit adultery upon your spouse. With your body, with your words, with your actions, with your thoughts, it is sin against God. And it's sin against the one that God has given you. So a simple truth today. Don't murder anybody. Well, I, I know we kind of smile at that, don't we? We smile at that until we hear about tragic church shootings in Texas. 
We, we smile about that until we hear about uh, somebody that walks into a nightclub in Orlando, Florida and mows down 56 people. We smile about that until we hear about the Las Vegas shooter that sprays and wipes out 63 people at one time. Somewhere along the line, God has understood that our hearts are wicked and desperately so. And God says in His Bible, don't commit murder. And, and how many of us in this room today have either been through a, uh, a situation where adultery was involved or worse yet, we are the children of families that have been broken apart by adulterous situations. And if you're in here today and maybe you come from a family like that or you've been a part or experienced something like that, you know the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the sadness and that it's not over overnight and it lags on and in some ways it touches your family for generations to come. God comes behind and says, don't commit adultery. One third, uh, or a third simple truth, and then we'll move to some difficult realities. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't steal. Don't take what's not yours. Don't take what belongs to somebody else and make it as if it is your own. And you might be sitting in here today, come on, Steve, what are you talking about? I just took a little bit of that. I just did a little bit of that. I, 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 look, I, of course I was checking my Facebook on company time, but, you know, I only did that for 15 minutes here or there. The simple truth is don't steal. Let me see if I can make it as small as possible for us. Are you talking about sip stealing in the convenience food store when you get the 32-ounce uh, drink and you put it under there and then take some and put back? Come on, am I the only one that's done that? Can I get an amen if anybody else has done that before? Amen. All right. Now look, at McDonald's is free. You get all the refills you want. But don't keep your styrofoam cup and go back to McDonald's the next day and get one for free, all right? Now look. I play, I take it to the farthest extreme, but just simply to say, the simple command here is don't steal. Don't steal time from your boss. Don't steal from your parents. Don't steal from others. And let me, let me explain something to you here. Stealing is not just the taking from somebody that doesn't belong from you. Stealing can also be the not giving of something to somebody who is in need when you know that you could. Don't withhold good from somebody for your own selfish desire. A lot of our CEOs in this world could get a little bit of that sermon. Amen? Come on. Right? Some guy, some gal makes 50 bazillion trillion dollars a year. And you got, you, know, you got somebody else that's working and making pittance and making nothing. Now look, I'm not a communist. I'm not saying the government needs to step in and force that person. But I'm just saying, if you make 50 bazillion trillion dollars a year, I don't even know if that's a number, and you got people that are working for you making next to nothing, you're stealing. Give. Now you might not want to hear that, hear that this morning, but that's true. Don't, commit, don't murder. Now watch me here and I'll move. Don't murder. The fundamental reason behind not murdering is this. Every human being is created in the image of God. And when you murder, you put yourself in the place of God, extinguishing the image of God in somebody. 
Don't commit adultery. Why does that come next? Because the closest relationship that you will have on earth to that with our Lord is in Genesis where he talks about taking the man and the woman and the husband shall leave his family. The two shall become one flesh. And when you commit adultery, what you do is rip flesh apart. And don't steal. Why? Because when you steal, you invade the kingdom and the will of somebody else at their expense for your good. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Now, if you walk out of here today, I, I want you to grab those three and run them through your heart, run them through your life, and run them through the way that you understand everything in life. Let me talk to you a few minutes about some difficult realities. Take your Bible and turn over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 5. Jesus addresses at least two of these commands in Matthew chapter number 5. So you might be here today and you're saying, well, that's some simple truth. I did not need to come hear some loudmouth preacher tell me don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. I know that. Now what I want you to see is some difficult realities. Look at how Jesus explains further and really opens up some of these commands for us. Look at Matthew chapter number 5. It's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew 5 verse number 21. We'll read down to 30, but really two separate sections. Verse 21 to verse number 26 first. Look at what Jesus said. So you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into a fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Brothers and sisters, look back at verse number 22 and tell me if this is not a difficult reality. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brothers shall be guilty before the court. You see, Jesus looks and, and here's what he says. Look, there's a whole bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees and he's saying, I, I'm not familiar with, church, with, with the Bible. Who are the Pharisees and Sadducees? Just look around. It's a bunch of religious people that are in here today. All right? And G Jesus is surrounded by religious people and all of them have their thumbs in their like first century toga suspenders, right? And they're saying, I've never murdered. I've never taken anybody's life. I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never murdered anybody. Therefore, I'm righteous. And Jesus says, look, have you ever been angry with anybody? You see, the spirit of the law in the Old Testament and the New Testament is not the outward keeping of the law. It is the inward heart of the action. Now just watch me for a minute. If we could suck and vacuum out all of the anger in the world, how many murders would there be? Probably a few. Very few, right? You see, the heart of murder is anger. And now all of you are going to say, you stop preaching and started meddling with my life. 
And Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, if you're angry toward your brother, you're guilty the same way as somebody who takes the life. See, what Jesus is aiming at here is not the outward keeping of the law, but the inward heart of the life that is surrendered to Him. Jesus breaks down anger in this passage in three ways. He basically talks about anger, and then He talks about what we would say maybe contempt, and then vile language. You notice what He says there? He says, if you have anger in your heart, and then if you say to somebody, you good for nothing, the word in the Hebrew here, this is an Aramaic term, it is rachach. Uh, doesn't that sound like I'm ready to hock a loogie on you? <laughs> this is what they call, I think, uh, my English teachers are going to get me afterward. I think it's onomatopoeia, where the word sounds like what it is. All right. It's not just that I'm angry at you, but now I have contempt on you. I, I just soon spit on you as look at you. You're, you're nothing to me. You ever said that to somebody? And then that degenerates from being angry to contempt to vile language. Ah, our New Testament says, you fool. Maybe we... Mm, I'm going to be careful today. I'm not going to use language that would be tantamount to what Jesus is saying. But you just think about in your mind some of the worst things you've called people in your lives. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Anger in and of itself is, first of all, it's just a spontaneous uh, emotion and, and reaction to something that violates our will. And so what Jesus is talking about here is not just the moment of anger when somebody crosses your will or does something wrong and you're like, mm, right? That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the settled disposition to stay on that anger, to feed it, to stoke the fire, to continue to hate, to continue to resent, to continue to hold it against, to continue to treat somebody and mistreat somebody. That's a difficult reality, isn't it? Because everybody in this room, including yours truly, has issues with anger. You might not lash out in malice, right? You, might, you may not be the one that strikes out or even says anything, but you hate people on the inside. You, you hold people in contempt on the inside. You cuss people on the inside. You know you do. And maybe that hasn't happened to you today, but it has at some point in your life. And can I tell you something? If you're a human like me, probably at some other point in the future, the same thing is going to happen where you are going to have unlawful anger on the inside. And rather than just doing what the Apostle Paul said, and lay aside anger, just put it to the side when it rises up, just, you know what, I've messed up too, I've done wrong too, and forgiving and going on about it. You're going you're gonna to stoke that on the inside, hold that on the inside. You're going to nurture it and work it and hate that person and Jesus comes along and says hey you remember that command about not murdering how about this don't be angry now I better clarify clearly here there are times where people hurt us and do wrong and there are some right feelings of anger and I'm not saying that you have to just throw everything away every time somebody hurts you repeatedly. And I want to say that to people that have been hurt, that takes time. There, there are issues of forgiveness that take longer periods of time than others. But I do want to say this. If you do not work at it, it will never happen. Jesus says, don't be angry. Look at a second difficult reality. 
Verse number 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now notice here, the text doesn't say, if you look upon another woman, right? Now that wouldn't be fair of the Scripture at all, right? You, you can't, I'm speaking to my men in here, ladies hold on, and if this applies to you, then apply it as well too. But gentlemen, if you're, if you're a man in here today and you're awake, clap your hands three times. Let's try that again. If you're a man in here today and you're awake, clap three times. Now listen to me. You can't help that human beings and women are passing by all the time. The issue of the text does not say if you look on a woman. It's if you look on a woman to lust. If the intent of your heart is to commit inwardly what you are longing for outwardly, You've committed adultery. Now, it's a tough reality, isn't it? And Jesus comes along and he's talking to very religious people and they said, I, I've never, I've never uh, committed adultery on my wife. I've never slept with another woman. And Jesus says, instead of you being very pharisaical and legalistic and thinking that you have everything tied up in the law, here's what I want you to know. The inward part of your heart is desperately wicked. You see, brothers and sisters... Brothers and sisters together, what I want you to learn from these commandments today is that they are simple. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And yet, we could go on even with stealing in the New Testament. They go much deeper than just the outward keeping of the law. You think God's foolish? You, you think God's dumb? As if God would just sort of give something that you could outwardly do a check mark and be holy? God knows you much better than that. God knows how, how bad we are in our own soul. And so He says, look, look, it's not just the keeping of the outward law. Sure, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. But it's much deeper than that. It's work on the issue of the heart of anger and work on the issue of the heart of lust and work on the issue of the heart of sacrificially giving and not holding and withholding and taking from other people and infringing and trespassing into their own life. God reaches down into the depths of every one of our our souls and hearts, and he says, this is where true religion takes place. Not the outward keeping of the law, for that will take care of itself, but it is your heart that needs to be made right before me. How's your heart today? Are you real religious on the outside, but on the inside, you live for yourself? Do you come to church to pay duty and that's just kind of what you do culturally, but on the inside you're cold and dead and there's really not a strong fervency to follow Jesus on the inside? The issue, my friend, is not just the outward trappings of religion. It is the inward transformation of the heart. And though those truths are simple, there are some very difficult, difficult realities that anger is in our hearts. 
that lust and desire that should not be there is in our hearts. And we need help. So let me give you a third point. We'll finish today. Some impossible possibilities. First of all, I want you to understand that it is impossible for you to fix yourself alone. Look back down at the text. Look at what Jesus says. Uh, Look at verse 27 again. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now look at what Jesus says here. If your right eye makes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he goes on, If your right hand makes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of those parts of your body than for you to have your whole body and go into hell. Hey, can I just talk to you for a minute? It's just friends, right? Family, I hope you're with me. Stay here. Jesus isn't playing around. Jesus isn't being cute. Jesus is saying to a group of people who feel like if they meet the expectations of the law outwardly, that that will make them righteous before God. If I never murder, if I never steal, if I never commit the act of adultery, that somehow I have the righteousness of God in me. And Jesus says, look, if you could fulfill it outwardly, then the end of that, the best thing you could do is, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with adultery, if you're struggling with what you see with your eyes, then just rip your eyes out and that way you'd never sin again. Right? If you think that outward keeping of the law will somehow change your heart, then isn't that the, isn't that the natural end? Jesus says if you're struggling with what you see, rip your eyes out. If you're struggling with what you do with your hands, then cut your hands off. If you're struggling with your feet, cut your feet off. And Jesus is making an exaggeration here to tell you you can rip your eyeballs out of your head and still commit adultery in your heart. You can cut your hands off. But if you're addicted to materialism and what you can hold and what you can have and what you can do, if you're addicted to your job, you can cut your hands off, you can cut your feet off, you can rip your eyes out, and you'll still long for it and search for it. Jesus is basically saying, you can be a bloody pulp of a stump of a human being and still not have heart change on the inside. Tough message today for all of us. But let's own what Jesus is saying and see if we can get somewhere. We begin by saying, all of my outward moral fortitude will not change the inward wicked, wrong desires that I have. I had the deacons pray earlier for me to be clear and have clarity of thought. So I do want to, this is where I want to be clear. 
If you're in here and you're a believer and you're struggling with sins in your life, there are outward things that you can do. For instance, like with men, like covenant eyes you can put on your computer there. Uh, you know, not having computers in certain places in your home. Uh, ladies, if you're struggling, whatever it is you're struggling with, all right, just help me today. Think about what you're struggling with. There are outward things that you can do to help yourself, and I'm not against that. You ought to take those measures. You ought to be at it. But if you think that those outward measures will somehow change your heart, they won't. They help, and they're right, and they're good. But you can have all the laws in the world, and if you don't have the right heart, you'll still long for it inwardly. So what is Jesus saying? You need a heart transplant. And you need heart transformation. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, just like that last hymn that we sang. That Jesus died for us on the cross. That Jesus rose again. That Jesus took into Himself all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt, everything that I've ever done behind closed doors and that you've done. That Jesus died for that and He rose again. And that when we put our confidence and our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, that He washes our sins away. He takes away the old heart. He gives us a new heart that is enabled by His Spirit to be obedient to the Word of God so that we can become who Christ wants us to be by His power, by His Spirit, by His Word, not by our mere keeping of the outward law. If you're in here today and you're struggling with an inward sin, here's the word of advice from the Scripture. If you're really struggling with a sin, the best thing to do, yeah, sure, outward measures, Sometimes you need outward measures. Go ahead and put some of those in. But if you're really struggling at something, the best thing to do is to move your heart in the direction of asking this question, how do I learn to love Jesus more than I love my sin? What would it look like in my life for me to love Jesus? I ask them, I, you know, and listen, your pastor struggles with that too. And you're struggling with, what is it? Do I read the Bible, come to church, go to Sunday? School? I don't know. What I, all of the above, maybe? Okay. But you ought to ask yourself that continuously. How do I, I, sometimes I pray, Lord, I want to love you more. I don't even know what that looks like. How do I, mm, loving Jesus more? I don't know. How do I love Jesus more? I, I don't have all the answers for that. You're probably thinking, you're the pastor. You should. I don't. I'm working at it, all right? I know that we want to love the Word and read the Word. I know that we want to live holy lives. I know that church and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, and all of these things go about to help. But we want to begin not by saying, how do I stop all of this, but how do I love Jesus more? You see, because ultimately this is an issue of idolatry. And when Jesus takes the throne of your life and you love Him and you adore Him and you worship Him, you want to please Him, and He consumes everything, the things of this world grow strangely dim. You say, let, let me see if I can put it in basic for terms for you. If you want to get to New York today, you don't, get on, you, you don't not fly to London. Do you understand what I just said? If you want to fly to New York... You don't not fly to London or not fly to Albuquerque. What do you do? 
you get on a plane that's going to New York. So the major issue with our heart is not necessarily a bazillion and one laws that we have to keep to the minutest detail. The major thing here is that we get on the plane that goes toward loving Jesus. And we learn to love Him with all of our heart. And the more that you learn to love Jesus, the more of the idols of your heart will fall to the wayside. Hear me clearly again. There are times where we need outward measures in our life, and you do. Use them. Work at them. They help. I guess... Here's what I mean. Just... Can I just be honest with you for a second? Like we're family? I don't know that I would use this illustration another way. For instance, I, there's a tool for men that are struggling with pornography called uh, uh, Covenant Eyes. It's a beautiful tool. You sign up with, a, uh, with an, an accountability partner, and they know every website that you go to every, all month long. Isn't that great? But you want to know something? The website Covenant Eyes or, or the, the, the system Covenant Eyes it has no idea whether you visit a uh, NFL football team website and look at the cheerleader section. You see, tools are great. But only Christ can change the heart. Use the tools. You need them. They're helpful. For men and women and boys and girls, it's part of what discipleship is. It comes around us and gives us a structure to use. But the issue today is your heart. And maybe I would just say this. as We're, we're going to close in a second. I, I believe that there are some people in this church who have been playing religion for a long time. And you may be saved... I don't stand in judgment over your salvation. But you know when you leave here that the supreme desire of your heart is not to love Jesus and learn about Him and walk with Him and have Him transform every area of your life. You're not giddy on the inside to love Jesus. You know that. What do you need? Well, you might need some tools. You might need a Bible study. You might need some discipleship. You might need some accountability. You need some small green, all these kinds of things. What do you need most of all? You need to get on your knees or get quiet with God and repent and say, man, my heart's not right, Lord. I don't love you like I should. And I need help. And in the middle of that impossibility... Christ will come along and make what's possible. Will it take work and effort? Yeah. You have to walk with Him. That's what God wants from you today. Not just another tool. For you to admit before Him that you need help in your heart. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? Close your eyes. I'm going to call you out. This isn't time for doing kind of crazy things. I, what I like to do now in a minute, we'll sing a song together. But I just want to say, why don't you pray right now? If you've not had time this week, can you talk with God privately in your mind? Maybe there's a sin that you're struggling with deeply. 
You need tools, of course. We're here to help. We want to walk with you. We can help you. But it begins by you saying, man, I, I'm just playing religion and my heart's cold and I really am not as in love with Christ as I should be. And talk with Him. Confess that to Him. And ask Him, say, Lord, will You help me? Will You help me to love You and walk with You? That's where the heart change needs to take place. You do that and the Lord will walk side by side with you and help you. And in fact, when you do that, He empowers the tools. Let's stand and sing together. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.